so good to be with you this morning. My name is Max Critchfield. I'm the high school pastor here at Bridges Community Church. And today we're continuing on in the series that we've entitled Jump In, looking at faith stories in the book of Luke. Stories of people who take the risk and jump into the adventure of trusting and walking with Jesus. <clears throat> There's always that moment of indecision before you jump, right? Um, maybe you stand there at the side of the pool or the, the beach looking and thinking, man, that looks cold. You know, I'm, I'm really comfy and dry right here, right? Um, I experience that same moment when I'm getting ready to go out on a, on a bike ride sometimes. You know, I'm sitting on the couch. Uh, I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm really comfortable right now. This is nice. If I'm going to go ride my bike, I got to put on my whole suit. I got to, um, you know, it's cold outside. It's windy. And it's maybe it'd be better off to stay in here, right? But... Oftentimes, I finally convince myself to get off the couch, get my gear on, and get on my bike. And as I'm riding away from my house, I'm stretching, I'm stretching my legs, I'm feeling the wind through my hair, you know, it's, I, I think to myself, I'm glad I'm out here. But when I lean into it and go out there, I never regret it. And, and the same is true of jumping into life with Jesus. Once we do it, we, we take that leap to trust him in a new and powerful way we think this is where I'm meant to be. This is good. Even though at times it may be hard. That's what this series is about. And, and this morning we're looking at the faith of a man who amazed Jesus. The Bible tells us he marveled at this man's faith. And, and at the outset of our message today, I, I want to share with you our main idea for this morning. And this is on your outline there. It says this. When we trust that Jesus is willing and able to meet us in our need, amazing things happen. When we trust that Jesus is willing and able to meet us in our need, amazing things happen. Amen. Turn, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 7. We're going to be starting in verse 1. Verse 1 of Luke 7. It'll be up here on the screen as well. Uh, if you have a Bible in front of you or a Bible app on your phone. Uh, verse 1, Luke 7. After he had finished all his sayings, he being Jesus, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. And he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority. With soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Okay. So we've fast-forwarded a bit from the stories that we looked at last week. And in the intervening time, Jesus calls his disciples 
He's delivered the Sermon on the Mount, the sayings that are referenced here in verse 1. And now Jesus is on the move again. He's arrived at Capernaum, which is a town on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. And this is a place that Jesus has been to before, something that's going to be significant as the story continues. And that introduces us to one of the main characters in this story, the centurion, right? What is a centurion? Uh, Centurion literally means the commander of a hundred, although at the time they might not have commanded exactly a hundred soldiers, like century, right, a hundred. The centurion, he's a Gentile, a non-Jew, and he might be engaged in in police work or maybe customs service, uh, you know, overseeing trade on behalf of the Roman government. And that's really the basics of what we learn about him, but there's a lot more that we're going to see as this story unfolds. But for now, we see that this centurion has a problem, right? He has a need. But look again at verse 2. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. This is the first window we have into the life of this centurion. And it's a sad picture, right? He's standing at the bedside of one of his servants, and that servant is at the point of death. Have you ever stood at someone's bedside in the last days, the last moments of their life? Looking out over this sanctuary, I know many of you have. Many of you, maybe you're there right now. It's, it's hard. It's, it's painful. It hurts to see someone you care about suffering. Right? Your heart is, is gripped by sadness, by melancholy, and just this, this sense of powerlessness, knowing that there's nothing you can do to help this person except to pray. But this servant, he's, he's not just some nameless face in the centurion's household, right? It, we're told that this servant is highly valued by him. This word here for valued is the Greek word time, which translated other places says uh, precious or honored. I, I think about the story of blind Bartimaeus. You know, uh, bar means son of, so his name is son of honor. So this, this servant, he's, he's precious, he's valued, He's um, honored in the centurion's house. This, this could just mean that he's really good at his job and the centurion doesn't want to lose him, right? But based on what we see next in the character of this man, I think there's more here. There's, there's compassion. There's care. Let's read on and see what happens next, verse 3. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. So with this precious servant at the point of death, this centurion, he hears about Jesus. What does he hear? We're going to see in a few verses. But, but in essence, when Jesus arrives in Capernaum, word reaches this centurion about Jesus. And this man is prompted to action. Action, I think, that tells us a lot about the kind of person this centurion is. Let's, let's look again in verse 3 and keep reading. Things get interesting here. So when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. So 
the centurion hears about Jesus. And what does he do? He sends others to ask him to come and heal his servant. And who are these others? Elders of the Jews, it says here. Leaders of the local Jewish community. It's interesting, isn't it? This Gentile centurion hears about Jesus and he sends elders of the Jews to ask Jesus to come. I think it's safe to say that this centurion, he didn't have any authority over these people. But they come to Jesus to plead this man's case. And it's clear that they weren't coerced into coming. They, they plead with Jesus earnestly, it says. It's almost saying that they're begging Jesus to come. Why? Well, look again at verse 5, verse 4 and 5. It says, And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. These Jewish leaders come to Jesus pleading earnestly. They say, this man is worthy. He's deserving of your attention. Why? That They give two reasons. First, he loves our nation. And second, he's the one who built us our synagogue. When you and I see nation, we think country, right? But this word is, it's one of our favorite words here at Bridges. It's ethnos. It's ethnos, right? It's, it's the Jewish people that they're talking about here. This man loves it. It says he agapes the ethnos, our ethnos. It's pretty stunning for a non-Jew, right? And how did he demonstrate that love? He built the Jews of this community, their synagogue, their gathering place. That's quite generous. We're not explicitly told this man was a God-fearer, a Gentile who believed in the God of Israel. But he is someone highly esteemed by the Jewish community, which is uncommon for a Roman soldier, to say the least, right? Look at verses 6 and 7 to get the rest of the picture of this centurion from this passage. I think this kind of puts the puzzle pieces together about who this man is. So Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. So the Jewish leaders, they go, they plead with Jesus to come and heal the servant of this Gentile soldier, and Jesus agrees, right? So he's going with them um, to the house of this soldier, and while they're on their way, this centurion sends a second group of people, right? This time his friends, and they carry a message directly from the centurion's mouth to be shared with Jesus. And the message is this, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. Things start to clear up here, right? Most people, when they've been in need of healing, they've come to Jesus directly, right? Or in the case of the paralyzed man from last week, other people bring them and put them in front of Jesus, literally, right? This this man, this centurion, he does not. He sends intermediaries. He sends other groups on two occasions. Why? Because in his words, he says, I am not worthy to have you come to my house. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. On your outline there, it talks about two things that we see in the centurion's response to Jesus. And uh, the first of those is this, humility. That's there on your outline if you're following along. Humility. I think that the theme of honor is really interesting in these few verses here. Do you remember what the Jewish leaders said when they came and uh, pleaded with Jesus? I said, please come. This man is worthy for you to do this. He's a man of uncommon love and generosity. 
But what does the man say through his friends when Jesus is almost to his house? I'm not what? Worthy. Worthy for you to come to my house. Part of this might have been knowing that coming into the house of a Gentile would have been bad for a Jew, right? But I think that there's more than that going on here. This centurion, he doesn't tell Jesus he's worthy of his attention. Other people do. When, when I think about humility as a follower of Jesus, I, I think about well-known passages like Philippians 2. Maybe you've heard that before. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5. Verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have the mind of Christ. Be humble. Count others as more significant than you. Look not only to your interests, but the interests of others. You, you and I would all say that humility, it's, it's important. It's integral for us as followers of Jesus. But I think that sometimes for us, for you, for me, humility can become distorted into kind of a sanctified self-loathing. We, we put all the focus constantly on other people. But when other people want to help us, want to bless us, we say, no, 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 no. It's, it's not about me. It's about you, Right? It's this, it's this mentality that every other person in the world, their needs are important and valid except mine. For some of us, we, we find it hard to allow people to help us, to bless us, to walk with us. I, I don't think this is the humility that God has in mind for us, where we think ourselves unworthy of care and attention, of, of connection with people who want to live out the one another's with us, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another. I think that this Gentile centurion is a picture of a healthier humility. He has a genuine need, right? This, this servant that he treasures is on the brink of death, and he hears that this man Jesus is in town, and he can do something about it. Think, think with me about the possible steps he could have taken next, right? Um, he's a centurion. He's a military man. He's a man of power and resource, right? He's a, he's a commander of men. He has the resources to build a synagogue in town, he could have gone to Jesus himself and name-dropped, right, and said, hey, I'm a pretty big deal around here, right? I don't know if you've heard about me, but um, I've got a lot of money, I've got power, and I think that should earn me some FaceTime with you and maybe a little miracle for my friend here who's sick. He could have flexed his muscles, his military might, his connections, but he doesn't. He is so humbled by the nature, the reputation of this amazing man, Jesus, that he sends first Jewish leaders to talk to Jesus on his behalf. Then he sends his friends to tell Jesus he's not worthy for him to even come to his house. But notice he doesn't say, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. So you know what? Don't worry about it. Don't bother. I'm sure you got a lot of other people to help. You know, maybe my servant will get better, but uh, don't worry about it. No. The, the need of his beloved servant is real, right? This centurion, he's, he's a man of integrity. He's a man of influence. He doesn't hype himself up, but he does say confidently, someone I care about has a need, and I believe you can meet it. So if you would, I'd appreciate it. This isn't on your outline here, but you can write this on your notes next to humility. It's, <clears throat> it's a little math equation. Now, that's, that's dangerous, a pastor doing math, um, I haven't done math since 2003. I took three quarters of calculus at UC Davis to satisfy math and science requirements. And I took calculus 16A, I got an A. I took calculus 16B, I got a B. 
I took calculus 16C, I got a C. And that was it. So my math skills have continued to trend downward ever since. But, uh, but here, here's a simple thought. As I think about the example of the centurion and, and what it can show you and me, and that's this. Humility plus integrity equals influence. Humility plus integrity equals influence. When I think about the people who have impacted my life most significantly, the people who, you know, if they called me while I'm preaching this message and said, Max, I need you to come right now, I would say, I'll be there. There's not a lot of people that fall into that category for me or for you. They're not people who have told me, hey, I'm a really influential person, you should listen to me. You know, I just, I think about this scene with this centurion. He's standing at the bedside of this man about to die, and he says to these Jewish leaders, do you think you could go to Jesus for me? And they say, absolutely. We will plead your case for you. That's a person of influence, right? And I think influence isn't something we gain by telling people that we're influential. It's something that's gained by saying, I'm focusing my life on an audience of one. I'm gonna be busy about doing the right things, becoming the right person, and I'm gonna leave kind of the hype to other people. That doesn't concern me. What matters is who I'm becoming for the glory of God. And I think that leads to influence. That gives us a voice that people listen to because we're not pursuing it to have people listen to us, but because we wanna make a difference for the kingdom of God. I think that's a thought that's worthy of our attention. That's the first thing we see here, humility. And that leads to the second thing that we see in the centurion's interaction with Jesus, faith. Faith. We we see faith, which makes sense because this is what the sermon series is about. It's about faith, right? But if you look back in our passage, this wasn't just any faith, right? There There are two examples in the Gospels where we're specifically told that Jesus is amazed. He's blown away. I mean, you gotta you gotta do something big to amaze Jesus, right? It's a big deal. One of those places is in the book of Mark. You can find that reference on the back of your sheet under the digging deeper questions. I encourage you to check those out. But the other instance is right here in the passage in front of us this morning. We read that Jesus marvels. He's amazed by the faith of this centurion. Why? Let's look back at our passage and see what inspired such amazing faith. Let's pick it up in verse 7. It says, uh, verse 7, Therefore, this is the centurion talking, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. The centurion says to Jesus, you don't even need to come to my out, come to my house. Just speak a word and my servant will be well. This is really the heart of it, isn't it? What had the centurion learned that had humbled him so profoundly yet inspired this confident, this amazing faith in him? Look at verse 8. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. What does he say here? He says that he too is a man under authority. What does that imply? That what the centurion has heard about Jesus has told him that Jesus, like him, is a man both under authority and with authority. Let me say that again. Jesus, like him, is a man both under authority and with authority. 
Back, back up with me a few verses in our passage, verse 3, right? When the centurion heard about Jesus. Look at that. It doesn't say that when the centurion heard that Jesus was in town. It seems to say that in the flow of this story, this centurion is hearing about Jesus for the first time. He comes to town, he hears about him, and, the, and this faith that blows Jesus' mind comes forth. And based on what the centurion says to Jesus, what he must have heard is that Jesus is a man of authority. He's a man of authority. What exactly did he hear? We can't know that for certain, but look back with me at this, this super cool connection just a few chapters earlier in Luke, in the book of Luke chapter 4. Okay, so if you've got your pew Bible there, just flip a few pages to the left. If you're on your phone, just go like this and you'll be there. Luke 4, verse 31. <clears throat> and he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power. He commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. You hear that? And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Where, where was Jesus in this story? Capernaum, right? Same place in Luke 7. Where does Jesus go? He goes to the synagogue. What does he do there? He teaches. He teaches with what? Authority. Then he demonstrates that he has authority over demons. When he rebukes them and they come out, he has authority over sickness. When he rebukes the fever of Simon's mother-in-law and it leaves her immediately. Maybe the centurion heard the words uttered by the demon that day. Surely you are the Holy One of God. Maybe that's why he called him Lord. Power. What's the closest you've ever been to power? Maybe powerful people. Maybe you've met a famous athlete or a famous government official, someone with money or influence, reputation, strength. Honestly, I couldn't think of a lot in my life. I remember... There's this football player I loved. His name was Javid Best. He played for Cal. And uh, unfortunately, c- concussion problems short, co- cut short his career. But I saw him at a gas station, I think, in Wasco on Highway 5. He was pumping. I mean, he had a huge arm. He was pumping gas. I was like, Javid, is that you? Let's take a picture together. So we did. And um, he was very gracious. Um, so, you know, I've, I've been to, you know, one or two Warrior games since they've been really good. But I wasn't close. Like, I could tell that they look, they're larger than they look on television, but, you know, I'm not sitting courtside. I don't have, like, Kevin Durant falling on me or something, you know. Um, <clears throat> so when I think about this question, being close to power, the story that comes to my mind is, is a trip that I took to Kauai. 
Has anybody ever been to Kauai before? A few of you? Yeah, it's, it's beautiful, right? It's, it's a Hawaiian island. And when I was in the seventh grade, I went there for the first time on a family vacation. We were there for a week, you know, hanging out on the beach with all the chickens that live there and, uh, you know, drinking coconut water, you know, before that was like healthy and cool, uh, sightseeing, going to a luau, you know, all that stuff. And uh, I remember one day vividly, we were, uh, we were at the beach and included with the house that we were renting were some boogie boards. And so I take this boogie board out, I'm doing my best to catch the waves and it's, it's beautiful, obviously, right? The, the, the water is warm, the sun is shining, I'm, I'm riding this boogie board, I'm having a blast. And then something happens. Um, I'm, I'm riding this wave, right? And really, I'm kind of on top, like on the front edge of this wave. And, and every wave is different, right? I'm, I'm riding this wave, and, and I think this particular time, the, the water is kind of rushing back out to the ocean in, in a little different way. And it kind of undercuts this wave that I'm riding, and the wave just basically dies. It just goes straight down. And so, um, you know, I'm on top of this wave, and the wave disappears, but I keep going, right? So I'm like horizontal on top of the wave, and then I go to being perpendicular, you know, like looking at the sand. That's the picture in my mind is just me like this looking at the sand. And it, it all happened in a split second, right? And um, I face plant into the sand, and I, I distinctly remember my spine like going the wrong way. You know, like we're supposed to bend like this. Like this is happy. This is good. This is bad, Right? And, um, you know, the water is just like swirling around me and my body is just racked with pain, you know, that I've never felt before. And so I start like crawling out of, you know, the ocean and I'm, I'm a jokester. My family thought I was kidding. And then they see my tears like, oh, he's not kidding. And so they come, you know, and help me out and uh, help me lay down on the sand, you know, and just kind of like happy to be alive, right? And like thinking about this story now, like this is how people get paralyzed for life, you know? Like, you know, by the grace of God, I was, I was fine. And um, eventually I kind of calmed down and I was sore, uh, obviously. But I can still remember the feeling that I felt all those years ago of relief and kind of breathing heavily and laying there on the warm sand. And the thought that was going through my mind as I laid there, you know, thinking about the the forces of nature that slammed my body into this sand that felt like a brick wall, it was something like this. That was power. That was power. When Jesus comes to Capernaum in Luke 7, where he'd just been a few chapters earlier, this centurion hears about him. He hears that he has taught with authority, most likely, it seems, in the very synagogue that he built. This Jesus has authority over demons. He has authority over sickness. So the centurion sends others to ask Jesus to come. Then sends friends to tell Jesus he's unworthy and to tell them this message. I'm a military man, right? I take orders and I give them. You tell demons to leave and they leave. You tell sickness to go away and it disappears. The centurion is saying, I know what power looks like. I know what authority is. And you have it. And if there's anyone who could help, if there's anyone who would help, it's you. What happens next? Verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. 
What happens next? Jesus marvels, right? He is amazed by the faith of this centurion. And remember, this isn't a faith that's had a long time to mature, right? He he hears about the authority of Jesus, how he's been speaking with power and driving out demons, and he sends friends to go get them. But look at what happens in verse 10. When they returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is a detail in this story that I love. It's really the absence of a detail. What does the centurion say to Jesus through his friends? Only say the word, and my servant will be healed. Big faith, right? Jesus, just stop where you are, say the word, and my servant will be well. But what we do, what do we not read about in this narrative? Jesus saying a word, right? Jesus looks around at the crowd, he says this guy's faith is amazing, and that's it. Right? The final detail of the story is the centurion's friends go home and find the servant well. It isn't saying this explicitly, but I like to think that Jesus is saying here, oh, you're asking me to heal your servant with just a word? Watch this. Right? Our God is truly able to do more than you and I could ever ask or imagine. Amen? When we trust that Jesus is willing and able to meet us in our need, amazing things happen. They do. They do. The centurion in our story has a need, right? What's your need today? What's mine? Maybe like him, you find yourself at the bedside of someone who's suffering, maybe at the point of death. Maybe you find yourself in that bed. Maybe your need is financial or for a job. Maybe you're in desperate need of of just space, of energy, wisdom, power. Maybe your need is, is relational. You're estranged from someone. It feels impossible to forgive, to let go of the past, to believe the best about somebody. Maybe you're, maybe you're praying fervently for Jesus to move in the heart of someone that you love that hasn't accepted Jesus yet, and you're begging him to do what only he can do and take a heart that's hard and make it soft. Take what's dead and bring it to life. Maybe you're here today, you haven't trusted Jesus yet, and you're saying, that's my need, is for him. I haven't taken that step of faith to jump in to this adventure that you're talking about. There's something missing in my life. I haven't wanted to face it, but I think it's the son of God. But here's the good news. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given by the father to the son. And no matter what the mountain looks like in front of you, no matter how great the need you're feeling in your life, no matter how dark the night around you might be, our resurrected king has the final word. It's not over until he says it's finished. Nothing is too hard for him. But the question for you and me is this. Will you trust him? Will you jump in? That's the final question on your outline there. What would it look like for you to put your faith in the authority of Jesus today? What would it look like for you to put your faith in the authority of Jesus today? He is able. He is in control. Now, this doesn't mean that if you and I believe hard enough that God is gonna make things work out just the way we want them to. Notice how our kind of our main idea for today is worded. 
It says, when we trust that Jesus is willing and able to meet us in our need. Notice that it doesn't say meet our need or meet our request, right? It says meet us in our need. In our story, the centurion seeks Jesus to heal his servant, and Jesus does. But you and I can probably all think of someone that we prayed and prayed and prayed for God to heal, to save from death on this side of eternity, and he did not. God may meet our need in the way that we think, and he may not. But you and I can know with absolute certainty that God is not aloof when it comes to our suffering and our need. The scriptures tell us to cast our cares, cast our worries, cast our longings, cast our dreams, cast our hurts upon him. Why? Because he cares for you, for me. He meets us in our need, whatever it may be. He embraces us. He upholds us. He strengthens us with his righteous right hand and with the heart of a perfect father. But he's also able. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. No need too great. No situation impossible. After the service, there are gonna be people here in the sanctuary who'd love to pray with you. If you have a need like that today and you wanna come before God with someone else, We'd love to pray. When we trust that Jesus is willing and able to meet us in our need, amazing things happen. Oh God, we believe. Help our unbelief. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we believe today, we want to believe today that you're willing, that you're able, and sometimes the circumstances we face in our life make us doubt that. And we wonder, can we truly trust you in that way? Can we put our full, the weight of our hopes and expectations, our identity on you, and believe that you're enough for us? God, this centurion heard about your authority. He heard that with a word you were casting out demons, you were healing the sick, you were making things that were impossible possible. And he dared to believe that, and you were amazed, and amazing things happened. God, I pray that you would give us the faith to believe the same. God, what mountain we're facing, only you know. But I pray you'd give us the courage to invite others into that journey to pray with us and to come before you and say, Jesus, you're willing, you're able. I cry out to you, confident that you care and you can do something because nothing is too hard for you. God, I pray... Help us believe that today as a church, in our families, in our community, for your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.